0: And welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club, the club now taking inspiration and hope from counterparts in France and Belgium. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Bonjour. Bonjour. Yeah, that's the extent of of, of my French as well. Ça va?
1: (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm usually drunk when I start to speak French. Uh, and I'm not. Trying, I've got a cup of tea. I've got a cup of tea in in honor of our, our special guest today, who doesn't drink. So I thought um, I thought I'd have a cup of tea in his honor. Okay. Um. I, indeed, I was going to say it's not like you to not have to drink before we do this. Five hours behind, son. Don't get just <laughs> half past eight where you are. You're probably three cans in of tenant's <laughs> super. I'm a cup of tea, Yorkshire Gold, though
0: don't be silly i'm only two cans in had to have dinner um yes we'd have a special guest and i guess before that we'll we'll introduce him by um playing a little montage it'll take you back eight years it's a massive game. We know the importance of this. Maybe it's even more important for us and for the Yves fans because it's an Edinburgh Derby. It'll
1: be a fantastic occasion for
0: the people at the club. I'm only here six
1: months, so it's not really about me today. It's about we can deliver for people that you know that are here now and that have gone boy as well. But we've got to go out and play a match for us.
2: It's not clear. and might come back onto McGowan. McGowan turns, gets the shot, yeah. deflected, down the bar! The ball back onto Ian Black. Black little twist moves away from Claros, pulling to the cross into Rudy Scatchel. Turn shot. Shake that. Goal! Rudy Scatchel scores just as he did in 2006. Hicksnell, Harts 2. Back again it comes out. not wide, Tom Sores. low ball in, Gary a tries to get there. It, and it's the captain James McPeak who scores. Shake that. Shake, that.
0: Shake, that.
3: Shake that. Every day I'm shuffling.
2: Cecil does sort of brilliantly. He's back. So is sent off, hips are down to 10, Granger from the penalty spot, scores! Sends it high to the left hand side, Hannibal Lothian lead by three goals to one, there's joy around Hamden and the joy's colour is maroon and white. The Hips fans stare in disbelief, Granger plays the ball in, chance for Scantula, of course, deflected goal for Harts McGowan, the Scottish Cup is going to... Arson goal back at the Scatchell. Scatchell's away. His man tries the shot and scores. British Scatchell got it away from James McPhee. Low into the corner. Heads one. hard five. A referee brings the Scottish gunfire. The Scottish Cup belongs to Haneman Lothian. Hebben they won. Hanneman Lothian 5. Every
1: day I'm soft The silver gleaming trophy is down there. It's handed to Mario Daliukas. Has win
2: the William Hill Scottish Cup 2012. We're dreaming about this, we
0: think uh, we'll come home, so we are so happy. It's just unbelievable. It's you know, something that you know, all of us were a bit nervous before the game, but you know, we knew if we went out and played our own style of game, that we'd probably eventually come out winners, and it's just amazing the way we did it. What these people deserve. Fantastic supporters, best in the world. So some, some great memories in, in that montage there. Um, so you're wondering, is our special guest Marius Salyukas? Darren Barr? Rudy Scatchell, Pat Fenlon? No. During that clip, we heard the dulcet tones of commentator Paul Mitchell, uh, probably one of the more subdued Hearts fans in Hampden Park that day, uh, eight years ago. Um, We're delighted to be joined by him now. And just like um, Joel Sked complained about when we got him on, I have a maybe big job of it much by putting you alongside a couple of Hearts boys in that montage of yours.
3: Laurie, Mark, it's great to be here. I, I class myself as a neutral Hearts fan. That's how I describe myself. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what would have happened if it wasn't paul mitchell's voice and it was pat fenlon can you imagine that call from one of us <laughs> uh, hi pat it's uh it's mark and laurie from a, a hearts podcast Folk off.
0: <laughs> if it's a shame it would be audio because you might do the same signal that you gave to the hearts fans in that day <laughs> in, right in
3: <laughs> glad to have you on paul how are you I'm very well, thank you. I was smiling when Mark was talking about the fact I don't drink, and that's largely true. I don't drink a lot, but Mark might remember the night that Hearts played Stuttgart uh, right. over in, in Germany. And I decided, because I'd really enjoyed the game and had a good night, I thought I had a decent commentary alongside Murder McLeod. So I decided, because I was in Germany, to have a beer, and I had one beer in the bar, and I'll tell you what, see, trying to get to my room what a challenge that was i have no idea it must have been the strongest beer in germany uh but <laughs> my route back to my bedroom that uh, seemed to take me forever and that was off one beer if it was germany it would be like
0: three times three times the size of a, a british beer to be fair a,
1: was it a stein or stein or or whatever in germany the uh the hearts fans um we shut a bar i mean i was there to commentate with gary mckay and uh that, that's an interesting thing. we'll get to this as well because BBC back then went to went to all the games, and it yep. became hard, harder and harder as time went on. There was a guy called Mike Scott at Radio Four. Why you want to commentate on not game? Be, because um, Hearts are Hearts are playing in Europe or hips are playing in Europe. I Aye, mean, but the BBC are going. I was like, you, you don't you don't get this. So every single time we went with Radio Four, we were sponsored by someone different. From Iceland Air for IBV in two thousand <laughs> to. Who else? Lock and Var Windows sponsored a few. We had all sorts. Um,
0: Also, you could get to the Hearts game for free.
1: No, these were away games. Uh, I just wanted to trip. (laughs) I just wanted to trip. But it was a a great stadium. But the night before, my God, um, it was a karaoke bar and. I think they drank the place dry. Paul wouldn't know. Paul was in bed by 10 the night before. After We all went out for meals usually, but Paul was the consummate professional. Uh, <laughs> nothing's really changed.
3: <laughs> you know what? One of the things that, that I miss, and I, I've actually done a couple of more trips in the last couple of years, but I, I really miss going away on these European trips. Now, Mark, you'll probably know they're slightly different now. You always used to travel with a team which was fantastic because, you know, you got rushed through the airport, you got good flights, you know, usually got a decent hotel. I mean, that Stuttgart trip was, was utterly amazing. I mean, I, I had the biggest steak in this particular restaurant. I was out with all the press and media guys. And when it arrived, they're going, you're not going to eat that. It's like, well, I might not drink, but I'll tell you what, I'm going to eat this damn steak. And uh, I did to just to spite everybody, you know, I, I think I was stuck about halfway through but I was determined to finish it. But these these trips were great. They were a chance, you know, to actually get away, you know, and have a chat with people and just, I mean, Stuttgart was magnificent. Um, And some people say, oh, you're going on a jolly. Well, it's two things. You're there to work and, you know, you do all your preparation. You make sure you do the game as best you can. But, yeah, tell you what, we go to have fun as well.
1: I, I don't know. What it's like now, Paul, I've not, I've not done these for, for more than 10 years because I've been away that long. I remember on some of the first ones, I remember is that Estonia or Mallorca, probably Mallorca in uh, 98. And Chick Young was sat at the bar with champagne and whatever, and it was all on BBC expenses. Now, of course, that was quickly <laughs> cut out. Um, but is it not the case now that the, the journalists, I mean, a couple of times with Hibs and um one other i think we made our own way there because the club had chartered really small planes but on the whole we always went with the team has that changed now
3: yeah it has largely changed i mean rangers and celtic tend to charter you know planes that will take their business guests as, as well as the team uh scotland were going a little bit like that towards the end you know because usually the press you know it helped to fund the trip but they also the charges got far too dear, um, yes. so it ends up. I mean, I I was I was in a couple of places this year. I was in Rennes. I was also in Switzerland with Rangers. And the unfortunate thing is because everybody else is booking these trips, you know, the fans to get there, you can end up with a sort of slightly circuitous route or you know very very early start time. So some of the glamour on that side has gone out of it. I mean, you talk about Chick Young, you know, sitting at the bar with Champagne. One one of my highlights in commentary, I did Hibs against AEK Athens, and I had Willie Miller Miller and Chick Young with me. So on my left, I remember I said, a man on my left-hand side, you know, a man who's had so many memorable nights in Europe, culminating and lifting the Cup Winners' Cup, you know, Willie Miller. And on my right, a man who's enjoyed many, many memorable nights in Europe, some of them even connected with football, Chick Young. (laughs) uh you know and, and that was chick's reputation chick's a great guy to go away with on a trip because you know he's a, he's a very generous guy with his time and, and he's just good conversation as well
0: your license fee at work guys there you go chick you in yeah. the champagne
3: <laughs> paid, paid for all by himself i can assure you <laughs>
0: i'm sure <laughs> so um i thought it'd good paul to you know find out what you you you're obviously doing right now because um unlike uh Mark and myself, you're a professional broadcaster. I'm only joking, obviously. Mark Mark kind of pretends that as well. Um, so I guess you've probably been um, adjusting to a very different sort of landscape at the moment. I mean, obviously many people are, but um, kind of in the broadcasting side, obviously everything's completely dried up during this um, very, very strange time.
3: Yeah, I mean, the the busiest thing I've done in the last sort of six to eight weeks was appeared on Thought for the Day on Radio Scotland. That's been about it. Um, What I've done in the lockdown, though, is, and and Mark will understand this, you look at, I've decided I I just had a, a look again at, all my spreadsheets, all my sheets that I used to take to games, the information Mm -hmm. I gather, and it gave me a chance to sit down and look to see that was capturing the right information, how it was going in. So I've not made sweeping changes, but I have made some changes to the way that I do things because what happens is, so for a team like Hearts, I will keep uh, who they played, Home or away, the scoreline, the competition, who played in goal, who scored, any red cards, who refereed the game, who played, who came on as sub, did they score, etc. So I keep all of that in a spreadsheet, and I do that for all the the top flight teams. And that gives me labels. I then use these labels uh, as markers on my sheet, and then I put some personalised information along that. So I just wanted to check that I was doing the, the right thing and doing it in the right ways. What I found is that when I do a radio commentary, there's less time for the sort of personalized information, whereas when Mm. you do television, you need more personal backgrounds i've been working on and this is sad commentary stuff i've been working on a different size of label for tv so i've got (laughs) more room to write in in personalized stuff but that takes up more room on one sheet so i've got to change the second sheet and i've actually gone away and now i think i'm at where i want to be i've done that for football and i've also done it for rugby because i also commentate on rugby
0: yeah it's it's interesting you say that because obviously i'm fortunate in many ways that I only really have to focus on Hearts, although I do like to make sure I'm at least up to speed with the opposition players. But I keep Hearts records myself in terms of the players. But to be honest, I just use resources on the internet. Do you find it's just more reliable for a lot of that, just to, to keep your own records, especially of all the top flight teams?
3: Absolutely. I mean some people will use and some people listening to this may have seen Soccer Base the day that Soccer Base credited Laria Kingston with a goal that was scored by Lee Wallace I kind (laughs) of lost kind of lost faith in that
0: no I understand that completely Uh, but you've you're also a bit of a quiz master at the moment I believe as well are you not
3: yeah, I mean, I, I've i done quizzes. When I do the bowls in Perth, usually on a, the Thursday night, we get a chance to go into the rink and play a game. We then usually get pizza and I'll, and I'll run a quiz night. So I've got about 10 or 12 quizzes from the years that I've done that. And what I decided to do in lockdown was bring some of them together and make them available to people if they wanted quizzes. Because I've seen a lot of people saying I'm doing a family quiz. Mm-hmm. I'm doing that. It was just a way of sharing, and I thought, you know, I might get five or six people asking for a quiz, and it's just nice to share. I've had over 100 people get in touch really? asking for copies of quizzes, uh, which got quite complicated at one point, um, but it's been great. So I've just been able to share that with people, and I've just finished my first online quiz as well with some friends from church, so that that was its a very surreal experience, but I can't do much in lockdown. I thought if I could share a few quizzes and people might get some enjoyment out of them, you know, and that's great.
0: Interestingly, so we're talking about um, obviously broadcasting and how that might look. You know, we've got the Scottish Premiership potentially returning in August, championship possibly two months later. I know all this isn't set in stone yet, but we are expecting, of course, empty stadia initially or at least partially empty stadia. Clubs have been given permission to stream matches if they're not live on TV. Obviously, it's going to be a big demand if there are no fans attending games physically. Um, I mean, I guess, if anything, this is going to make coverage of games even more important.
3: Yes, it will. And I think it will present broadcasters with a challenge. And I think, again, we've got to probably split it into television coverage and radio coverage. Television coverage, I don't think, will change greatly simply because you will prepare in the same way. Um, And you, you can have periods of silence. People can see. Uh, I often say that, you know, people say, what's the difference between doing a TV commentary and a radio commentary? And I usually say the size of the fee uh, because <laughs> you know that, that's, usually, that's usually how it works. Plus, you have more fun as a commentator on radio because you're not constrained mm-hmm. by the picture. So I think television won't change much. You'll need to bring it down a little bit in tone. I think it's going to be harder for the radio guys because you do feed off the atmosphere of the crowd and, you know, the crowd bring it to life in a certain way you know that you don't really get off the television in the same way so i think it's going to be harder for radio guys because again radio radio you tend your range tends to be a lot higher uh you know when exciting incidents and goals are being scored (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah, and and i don't really want to be roaring that you know stephen Naismith just scored and he can turn around and look at me and go come on keep it down man
0: Uh, (laughs) i would say the exact same thing because obviously i mean in my role, I decide um, I, I'm I'm much less reserved than you because, you know, give the people what they want. If Hearts score, I just obviously lose the plot and it has um, has caused some problems at Easter Road when Hearts have scored. Um, <laughs> a few of the home fans or people who sit up the back aren't very fond of me. But uh, yeah, I was saying to someone, I was like, if we're in an empty stadium, if I give players a stick, they could probably hear me because... I tend to shout quite a bit. up <laughs> So, um, yeah, it's going to be a, an interesting challenge.
1: By, by the way, Laurie, just to, to pick up on something Paul said, and I, I would say the opposite with regards to the difficulty um, between radio and TV. A lot depends whether you're at the stadium or, or not, granted. But radio, there's going to be less uh, gaps. There's going yeah. to be... Not so much dead air, but you know, radio you paint a picture. Paul's right, um, and in TV, it's more what you don't say because there's so many newer commentators. And and Paul and I have had many discussions privately on on social media um, about some some other commentators. It's not something I would ever make make public. It's just personal preference. But a lot of them think it's all about them. It, it's not. And and for TV, I think the difficulty now is when you don't speak either you or your analyst. Feel the need because there's no noise in the background to try and fill that whereas in radio there's constant chatting because you've got to paint a picture for your listener so while I agree with what some of what Paul said was, was right it's, it's very difficult depending if you're at the stadium or not mm-hmm. because just go back to the UFC on the first weekend there was a guy who was fighting and it was only the two commentators and various uh, hospital staff and medics and whatever that, that were there for safety and he was behind on on points. He heard one of the commentators saying what he thought he should be doing. He took that on board and he actually turned it around and won the fight. So it's all right, as Paul's saying, if you're if you're praising someone, then they're going to hear it. That's fine. It's when you say what was that when the shot goes twenty <laughs> yards wide and the player glances up at you and goes, "That's it. You're not getting another interview."
3: You you talked about being at Easter Road as well. I remember, if you remember, so if people, Tynecastle Castle had the the gantry in the stand opposite the main stand. uh, And I went to do a Scottish Cup tie there. It was Hearts against Celtic. And Sky had taken up the whole gantry. And I was put downstairs before they expanded the area with proper commentary positions. I was pretty much in the, the crowd. And uh, Celtic beat Hearts 3-0 that day. You try and describe a Celtic goal. You know, and, and I can't remember which goal it was, but one of them was a, a stunning goal. And, of course, you give it big licks, and people are just turning around with that sort of threatening threatening <laughs> look. I did a, I did a cup tie at Parmesan. It was Queen of the South against Hibs. And, again, before they put in the, their proper sort of wee TV platform, and by the time the BBC had picked the game... Queen of the South had sold virtually all of the seats to the Hibs fans. I mean, I had Hibs fans to the left of me, Hibs fans to the right. Uh, You know, the guys were leaning over to watch the
1: uh, the replays. Just just before you finish that sentence, is that clowns to the left of you, jokers to the right then? I was was trying not to go there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Paul, you you can go there. You don't have to be neutral now. This isn't the BBC.
3: Hibs Uh, fans, don't listen to this. Come on. It'll it'll get leaked. Somebody will have a go. I mean, I love dealing with with Hibs fans and Hearts fans. I've been accused more often of being a Hibs fan by Hearts supporters than I have been a Hearts fan by Hibs supporters. It's bizarre.
0: (laughs) Palmerston, when we were in the championship, it's interesting you said that because when I got there and they they had Hearts TV on a a little bit of paper on a seat and I sat there was when waiting for the the team news and such like and this woman who was literally in her 90s arrived and said son you're in my seat and I was "Oh, sorry it was reserved for Hearts TV next thing I know I've got three Queen of the South fans saying get off her seat she's been sitting in that seat for 50 years so I didn't get a seat in the end I just had to sit on this, this kind of wooden part between the press area and the actual Queen of the South fans and then the internet didn't work anyway so I just had to phone forth on my mobile for goals so um, oh, yeah, I can't wait if we're in the championship again. <laughs> it was interesting. We um, had a little montage at the start, and obviously we heard your voice, and we heard Mari Salyukas and the likes of Ryan McGowan there as well. But we could have found a montage that would have maybe had you collaborating with the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan Ibrahimović, Wayne Rooney and more... Do you know where I'm going with that one?
3: I I know where you're going. I've, I've met all the lookalikes. It's wonderful.
0: <laughs> I'd totally forgotten about this until I did the usual um, extensive research that Scarves Around the Funnel does before a show, and um, noticed on your Wikipedia page it mentions a uh, Nike football winner stays on advert in 2014, which I have seen before but I'd totally forgotten about. Um, it's actually a really cool advert uh, with the kind of kids in the park all saying. I'm Cristiano Ronaldo, and I'm Neymar. I as you did as a kid kicking the ball around, um, and it turns into a big kickabout with these players. But you are
3: you are the commentator on this on this on this show of of talent. It was it was unbelievable. I was I was phoned on a Tuesday. Uh, I've got an agent who looks after the non football side. Of things, So if there's any wee voiceovers or anything that might creep up, and I always said, if anything comes up, let me know. And he phoned me. He said, look, he says, there's something going on in London tomorrow. He says, I don't know what it's for, but they're looking for somebody to play a, a football commentator. Can you get down? So it, it wasn't easy, but I, I managed to get the train and I got down and I wandered around and it was a little casting place in Soho and they were casting for two adverts. They were casting for Nike Winter Stays and they were casting for a Razor Commercial. Uh, the Razor commercial featured handsome blokes with thick, bushy beards and women in red dresses, <laughs> and all the ugly guys were going into the, the football uh, audition. Now, as, as you'll understand, what, what it was was there was actors going in pretending to be football commentators, where I was a football commentator pretending I was an actor. Um, and, you know, I came out the the audition thinking, yeah, that that was surreal. I was in with a Liverpudlian guy and they basically – it was very weird because I'd never done anything like that before. The first question they asked was, can we see your hands? And I had to hold my hands up to the to the camera. Quite why, I still don't know, but that, that was the first thing. So they explained what they wanted. They didn't mention the product. They didn't say who it was for. They said, look, if you can imagine something amazing, you know, happening in a park and, you know, football and, you know, to go like that, you have to work as a team, um, you know, just bounce off each other and and go for it. So the the guy I was alongside was from Liverpool. And, you know, so they gave us the countdown three to, and before the person could say one he was off like a train and he just <laughs> went off on a monologue and i'm like and he threw a question to me which, which was the most insane thing i'd ever heard so i just ignored him and i just i'd just gone in um and because i'd been hearing roughly what was going on i went in with a couple of pre-prepared lines you know I, you know messy never looked so tidy what a lovely move you know just cliched stuff like that mm-hmm. And uh, so the guy's looking at me because he obviously realised that I'm a commentator and he's not. So he tried to up his game, and it was just—I was—I was struggling to keep a straight face with the guy. Um, came out, phoned my agent, said that was great fun. Don't think anything will happen, but it was brilliant. I got call, call back to go back the week later, um, and I was paired with about four or five different guys. Um, and as we're going through it, you know, they're bringing somebody else in to work with me and somebody else in to work with me. And I'm thinking, I think I've got this. This is bizarre. So I came out the audition. They said they'd be in touch. And I phoned my agent. And I said, look, I've got this. He says, no, no, that's not that's not how it works. You know, I said, no, no. I said, I'm telling you, I've got this. And sure enough, two days later, he says, this is yours, and then I was terrified because I'm thinking if they need me to act in any way, <laughs> I'm not an actor. You know, I mean, what if they ask me to remember lines? I'm not. I'm a broadcaster. You know, I, I can't remember. My brother's a, an Amdram actor. You know, so I was, I was thinking do I have to ask him. How do you memorize things? And uh, it, it was just surreal. Like you know, they, they phoned and they said um, we need you in Barcelona for for these days to do filming. And it just got surreal. I got sent script. I got sent a confidentiality agreement, which I had to sign when I got there. But when I got there, I got picked up at the airport, which I've never been picked up by somebody holding my, you know, my name on a sign. And I got taken to this strange warehouse place and brought in and it was full of green screens and things. I got taken upstairs and... Met the wardrobe mistress, and you know she handed me some clothes, and, and a Spanish girl, and said, "Try on." Of course, I'm looking around to see where the the cubicle is, and it, and she's like shaking her head, "No, you change here." <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting in and out of all of these, you know, shirts, ties, suits, etc., etc. And I remember one guy came in, and he looked at me, and he went, "Are you one of the managers?" And I'm thinking, "Great, I don't even look young enough to be a player anymore." <laughs>
1: <laughs> I met the wardrobe mistress. <laughs> yeah, right Mitchell. <laughs>
3: it's, it's unbelievable. I mean they they were taking pictures and sending them to, to to Nike's headquarters in Seattle, which I think is still there. You're never sure it was Seattle now. Um and you know they, they chose what I was to wear. It was surreal. And in the end I wore a suit with a, a shirt and tie that I probably would have worn to a game anyway.
0: So where was the actual filming of your was it was it in the the Camp New then or? No, it was, it was filmed at
3: Espanol Stadium. Ah, okay, okay. So we, we got collected uh, about half past 11 at night, uh, my co and I, the guy who was playing the role of co and we got driven to the Espanol Stadium, we got the full thing, you know, underneath park where the players park and we got uh taken into the suite to get changed into our outfits we had to sign confidentiality clauses we had to hand over our mobile phones so we couldn't take pictures which was slightly problematic because it's my wife's birthday when i was away so i was trying to phone her to to wish her a happy birthday etc um so we got all of that taken away and we we got taken into the, the stadium we mulled around for a bit and then our our bit of filming the two of us walked up the, the steps to the press area. The press area was full of extras, um, and we walked into where, you know, the commentary position was. And you could see all these extras thinking, well, I've never heard of him. You know, that, you know who the <laughs> hell is this guy? But we were being treated, and, 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 I, and I kid you not, we were being treated as if we were the most important people there. We filmed between midnight and three in the morning, it was getting cold. We were the only one brought blankets, we were the only one brought hot drinks. It was actually quite embarrassing that all these wonderful extras were around. And what they did was we, we had various scenarios that the director talked us through and to give us the eye line for the pitch, they had a big laser that they were oh. pointing onto the pitch and I had to follow that eye line with a particular move that I knew was happening um, and to give it, you know, the ups and downs and, and things like that. Now, there's not a great deal of commentary in the advert, um, but there's enough. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's like most of these things and, you know, you, you do an awful lot and just a little makes the actual... Actual edit, but I wasn't allowed to tell anybody where I was. I wasn't allowed to mention what I'd done, and it was basically until the advert was released, I wasn't allowed to say to anyone.
0: Oh, very, (laughs) very cloak and daggers. Um, So that's—I was going to ask that because obviously, if you watch the video, and you can watch on YouTube, you can look up. But is it Nike Football Winner Stays On? If you search that on YouTube, it'll be the first result, and you can watch the full thing. Which I, I do remember when. Um, when I rewatch it. So did you have any idea what the moves you were commentating on were meant to be like or did they kind of work that in afterwards?
3: Well, they'd done a lot of the filming that day or earlier that night with the actors and I had the a full copy of the script, which I've still got. It's just up to my left. So I knew roughly what was happening um, and they were just wanting to get different tone, different pace, um, different comments from, from the COCOM. There was obviously the big penalty scene Uh, And it was then just weird watching the big advert because it it, it was cut. There was a long version. There was a short version as well, depending on which television and which platform they were putting it on. And it was just incredible to see and see all the sort of the CGI, all the graphics that they put onto it in the end and, you know, and all the stars. Who were in it? You know, it, it genuinely was quite remarkable. And I mean, I've got—I've just reached up into my my desk. I've got all the paperwork here, so I'm just trying to see what it says. Um, yeah. So what a game, still tied. Now every minute is more and more important. Team Ronaldo pressing high up, but now with the added safety of Piki and Thiago Silva in defence. You know, so I had to go through all of these lines. Um, pages and pages of lines but again probably about three or four but I had the storyboard I've still got the storyboard who the players were uh, you know risk everything Courtois, Howard, Pogba, Higuain who the teams were uh, I've I've never made this I've never put it on social media or anything because I'm not sure I'm allowed to but it's quite a nice keepsake <laughs> to have. So did you write the lines or did you just have an influence on
0: them or did they just give you exactly what you were going to say?
3: They gave me the lines and I then took the lines and, you know, and then in sort of a handwritten script, I mean, there was, I'm just looking through that there's about 14 or 15, I'm up to 20 scenes. There was 20 different scenes that I had to do. Um, and I'd worked through with, with Andy, who was the co-com, um, you know, roughly what we were going to say. And I just had to keep, you know, repeating these various lines at various points. It was, it, it was a surreal and wonderful experience.
0: What I one thing that pops in my head when I look at the video as well is, um, you know, kids pretending they're players. They just take it just takes certainly takes me back to when I was either playing football in the park or even when I was playing football in computer games. And automatically, um, I like to do my own commentary. Maybe why I ended up doing it at some level as well. Did you know you wanted to do commentary fairly early on because you started with the BBC as just a it was a reporter you were initially, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, I started as a reporter. So I I was in the Radio 2 Amateur Sports Commentator of the Year competition, which I was in twice and never won. Didn't even win the Scottish Heat. I lost twice. Uh, But I got recommended to BBC Scotland, and I got a chance back in 1991 uh, to go and do a game for them. It was Hibs against Morton. was my first game back in September of 91. And it just kind of grew from that. You know, you'd get, I mean, People, I don't know if people appreciate how much broadcasting has changed, even in, in that time. I mean, back when I started on Sports Sound, you weren't allowed to announce which was the commentary game. Uh, till half past three in the afternoon, you were only allowed to broadcast the second half of said game, you're only allowed to be around the grounds at, you know, certain times and for a certain length of time. And, and to be honest, most games were played on a Saturday at three o'clock, you know, then you get the television deal, and things start to explode, uh, games get moved around. And that's when BBC needed more commentators. Because when I joined, it was you know, David Begg and Alistair Alexander. And basically, mm-hmm. you know David would work one week and Alistair would work the next. That's, that's how it tended to be. Um, but things got busier and busier and with more European football. Uh, and I finally got my chance in 98 to go to Iceland with, with Kilmarnock. That was my first radio commentary. So what game was that? Game it was, was it? Kilmarnock against IBV. Oh, the same team the Hearts played. I
0: didn't I did even realize that yeah. the Killy played them so. Oh no,
3: no, it was it was KR Reykjavik, I tell ah, a lie. my B V was Hearts. It was K.R. Reykjavik was See, the team.
0: Your first game was in
3: foreign soil. It, it was utterly bizarre, you know, to go all that way. And that was we I flew out, I was on my own for that trip because Kilmarnock had promised the BBC that whoever didn't make the match day squad would, would come and work alongside me. So just with a couple of minutes to go before we were going air, on air because Celtic were playing and then they were coming to us, I Jim Lachlan was beside me. And Jim Jim was fidgeting a fair bit. <laughs> I said, y- you, you OK, Jim? And he went, oh, I says, I'm really nervous. He says, I've never done this before. I went, well, neither have I. And he just looked at me. <laughs> And we had a great time. Jim was absolutely brilliant. I mean, it was only after about sort of fifteen minutes he was going, "Well, if I was the manager, this is what I'd do, and this is what I'd do." And he was brilliant. It was great. Do you think it's something?
0: I think we've spoken about this before on the podcast. If or I've spoken about it at some point, anyway, um, I always feel it's something that players should um, be exposed to more. When, you know earlier, and I've said it before about when I do Hearts TV. I always think more of the players should. Not get made to, but it should be encouraged to to come on, especially in away games where I'm I'm on my own anyway, just to get that, I guess, exposure to being comfortable and sitting talking about football, being in a a media environment. One, that if it's your club TV channel is going to be fairly relaxed compared to maybe speaking to Sky or BBC or whoever. I always think it's something they should be more exposed to because I've had some players who just hated it when they got put on. They would sit there and you would barely get a peep out of them Um, I think Mark Ridgers was the only one who liked it when I first started doing it and wanted to come on. But um, on the whole, they couldn't stand it. And I always think it's something that would benefit them, not just from, I guess, being more comfortable when they do have to get interviewed when they were maybe a regular in the first team. But also, I guess, in the future, they might be more comfortable being in a media role if they want to pursue that, whether it's co-commentary or presenting or whatever it could be
3: yeah I mean, I think there's a lot to be said for it i think but but in any walk of life if you you get the chance to go in to do something that you don't normally do, one of the best things I did at the b b c was I went through and watched sports sound being produced and presented from the studios in Glasgow, so I could understand what the sound person was going through, how the desk worked, how richard worked um so you you understood the other end, so when you were you know, having problems, technical issues, you, you could understand what the studio might be going through. Uh, I mean, there was the great moment I'd i gone through and I understood, you know, what had happened. And, and as Mark will know, back in the good old days, we were on very unreliable telephone lines. And I remember hmm. uh, at Easter Road one day, I was doing a game at Easter Road and I, I'd connected up successfully, but the BBC were having a problem at two or three other grounds. The EU summit was in Edinburgh and... They found a suspicious package at Easter Road, which wasn't a trophy. Before anybody goes there, um, you, you made a I, joke, <laughs> and we had to evacuate the stadium. So I had to go on the line and say to the producer, Dougie. I said, Dougie, said I'm having to leave. He said, You can't fucking leave. We've, you know. I said, We've got a bomb alert here, you know. He was like, What? So you know, I had to go out and come back. But I mean, those were the days where lines were, you know, they they could drop quite easily. Um, so, you know, you always had to be on on your game. So understanding what happened at the other end was very good for me. And I think it's the same with players. You know, I give an example of Ian McCall, and I, I was lucky to work with Ian. Now, Ian is a lovely guy. He, you know, first couple of times I worked with him, he'd basically wander up, sit down and do the game. And then as we traveled to a couple of places and we got to know each other and, we you know, we were able to sit and chat Ian realised that the job of the CoCom wasn't to turn up and just talk about the game. It was to prepare for the game, to understand what might be happening. You just could, you, you shouldn't just wing it on your knowledge. Um, so in certain situations, should tell situation, Jimmy
0: Anderson that. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, I've got a good story about Jimmy as well. Um, and it was you know just being able to talk and say, look, you know, on this on this trip or this Scotland game, you know, if X, Y, and Z happens, we might take it down this route. You know, if the game. You know, if Hearts are playing away or whatever team's playing away and the tie basically dies, how do we keep people watching? What can we talk about? Um, and, and you can go down that route and it becomes very much a, a, a team. And and you'll know that there are people that you really, really enjoy working with because they see it as a team effort. And I'd like to think that I can listen to most commentary teams and I can tell you who puts the effort in and who doesn't.
0: You mentioned, obviously, Hearts. You, you call yourself a... A neutral Hearts fan now. I, I assume before your commitments um, took you to other games, did you did you go to Tynecast on a regular basis? Is it something that has just become more difficult because work takes you whenever you get sent?
3: I was brought up in a household where my dad was a Hearts fan, but he was a very unhappy Hearts fan after Hearts lost the league to Kilmarnock. I, he then gave them a second chance only to see them being relegated for the first time in their history. So my dad wasn't big on going to football. There was also a lot of, I mean, I, I, so I'm somewhat 51 now. So there was a lot of trouble in the early 80s at football grounds. So we used to get taken to Meadow Bank, my brother and I, to watch Meadowbank play. Uh, so we got a chance to see, you know, professional football, but there was no chance of of crowd disturbance. Very little chance of a crowd, to be honest. But there was no chance of a crowd disturbance. Uh, my dad was very, very wary about taking me to Tynecastle. And the first game I went to at Tynecastle was a game on my birthday. It was Hearts against Queens Park. I got taken out for lunch. I got taken to the ground, and the game was called off because of a frozen pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what your first Hearts game was as a commentator? Uh, my first Hearts game as a commentator because I started on hospital radio. Um, alongside Ronnie Allen, the first game I ever covered was Hearts 1 Bayern Munich 0. Oh Really? Mm, that was the first we managed to get downhill light. ever since <laughs> yeah the, 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 yeah the lines were in disrepair we managed to get them working for hospital radio and this is back in the day before media rights and things like that nobody really bothered and uh, ronnie allen who was ex-bbc um he you know he did uh, sport scoreboard and things like that the results show uh, ronnie and i did that with um, mark mckenzie uh, back in the in the studio and that was our that was our introduction and that's where the, the love of doing the games came uh, at the older way end, if people remember it, with the, the, the pie stand underneath, and there was the bit above, uh, which is where people commentated for the blind, and that's where Hospital Radio was. Do you feel
0: the hearts fan within at some points so in, a, in a game like that of course with with Ian Ferguson's memorable goal and I'm sure there's been plenty of memorable moments since then I mean we had a little clip of 2012 do you do you ever feel that um that side of you still or are you are you very professionally neutral at all times I,
3: I would like to say without sounding up myself that I am professionally neutral and and what I say Laurie is I would rather go to a game that hearts are playing in that hearts get beat 5-0 and i've been fantastic then hearts win 1-0 and i've been rubbish now that will sound incredibly selfish but that's my job and i'm very protective of that job um, and i want to do the best possible job that i can uh, ideally hearts winning 5-0 and me being great that that works also <laughs> what's the what's the what's your favorite game you've covered I mean, there's been so many for so many different reasons. I mean, we referenced the Hart Stuttgart game, mm-hmm. but, I mean, the return leg at Tyne Castle, as Mark will tell you, I mean, Tynecastle was absolutely bouncing. Now, Hart's didn't go through. I think it was 3-2 in the end, Mark.
1: Yeah, Gordon, Gordon Petrich with that chance late on, wasn't it?
3: Oh, absolutely. And and you just think, wow, Tyne Castle was, you know, the old Tyne Castle was bouncing that night. That That's a game you know, that, that that stays very, very well in the memory. I mean, the old Tyne Castle, I mean, I'd gone from the old press box at the back where you were all sort of packed in to the newer, you know, they took some of the, the glass away. Then you moved down to the front. That position at the front and the old main stand at Time Castle. Now, it's, it was very, very tight to get in and out the seats. And if you were above sort of five foot seven, it was very uncomfortable. I'm five six. So it was great for me. That was one of the best places to work from. You were so close to the action. As a commentator, you know you were at a nice height to see everything. There was okay, there was the odd pillar in the way, but that <laughs> that really gave you a great sense of, of being so close. Uh, my favourite fixture is the Edinburgh derby. I mean, I've done numerous Rangers and Celtic games, but there's just something about coming from Edinburgh, doing an Edinburgh derby that, to me, you know that's the pinnacle. And again, I'm, I'm, I try to be as neutral as I can. In the Edinburgh Derby, and I don't know, and I've never admitted this, but I don't know if you realise, guys, that it's actually my fault that Hibs won the Scottish Cup. Go on. (laughs) So Hearts are two nothing up at half time. I'm doing the game for Radio Scotland, and I walk along, and of course you're friends with the guys from Hibs TV, and I give it to them absolutely tight. Um, you know, I just, I just gave it to them at half time. as you do, you know, in that fun way, you know, blah blah blah. Thanks for turning up and all this kind of thing. And of course, Paul Hanley equalises, and you've got to eat humble pie. And I thought this isn't going to end well. And from a heart's perspective, it didn't end well.
0: <laughs> Can you think of any any particular lines you're you you're you're very pleased with afterwards? Because obviously, there's so many iconic moments in, in commentary which. Often it's the commentator's words that kind of you remember. Are there any ones that you think afterwards, I nailed that?
3: There there have been a few over the years. What, What you tend to do, or certainly what I do, is you try and prepare for eventualities. You want that mix of spontaneity, but you also want to make sure you've got the information to hand and it's trying to get that balance. And I got some great feedback from one of my producers years ago. He says, got to watch, you know, at at times you're sounding a little bit scripted on the ins and outs. You've got to try and make it sound more natural. I think one of, one of the first games I did for, for BBC uh, was the week before Easter. So it was Palm Sunday and I did Rangers against Dundee United and, um, one of the, it may be Craig Moore slapped Billy. Uh, Billy Dodds got slapped by somebody. You know, it's well, it's Palm Sunday, but that's not what I thought it meant. Uh, which might have gone over some people's heads, but but, but I quite liked it. Uh, another favourite line of mine was when we were out in Athens covering Hearts against AEK Athens. And if you remember that game, I mean, Hearts, Hearts got absolutely shafted by the referee for the first 45 minutes. And I remember the, the BBC throwing back for the second half commentary and I think opened up by saying, I came here thinking that Homer was a Greek philosopher, not what you call a referee in Athens.
0: <laughs> That's when Brellier got his um yellow card for the earring and then got a, <sighs> a a second yellow. I've never I don't think I
3: don't think I've ever
0: seen a booking for that before or since.
3: I mean I I'm, I'm not one for, for saying referees are corrupt, but geez that boy must have had a good night after that.
0: And even and even better was that the that was the Jamie Moll game which Mark always um waxes lyrical
3: about. I mean, Mark, I mean, (laughs) when you saw the team sheet, who the hell is Jamie Mole? (laughs) You know, I mean, I prepare pretty well, but I'm going, who the hell is this?
1: Yeah, and they didn't give too much away at the press conference the night before as well, but it was just so frustrating. And then I think even then you kind of thought, we're done. I mean, it wasn't a good first leg. Don't get me wrong. And I know you're talking about the referee. um, And it was just one of these, we've, we've seen horrible refs, but... I think the minute that team was announced, you kind of thought, we've got no chance here. And that's how it turned out. Yeah,
3: it, it was bizarre. And, you know, so you would go through various managers. And I think it was Stephen Frail used to come up and say, don't ask me about the substitutions. Just please don't, you know. And you, you respected that because you knew that, you know, Things were being pulled above. I mean, I, I remain convinced that if Burley stayed in charge at Hearts, Hearts won the title that year. And uh, pe- pe- people can argue with me. Hearts were flying at the time. They had a great side full of experienced professionals. And if Hearts were ever going to win the league, that was the time that they had the chance to do it. And, of course, it's great because it's a pub argument because you can't prove anything. <laughs> no, uh,
1: exactly.
3: I mean, it's, it's a bit like at the moment people say, well, Hearts deserve to go down. How do you work that out? Just because they were bottom didn't mean they deserved to go down. If they were bottom after 38 games, they deserved to go down. But, you know, we've all seen teams, you know, come back. I mean, I think Birmingham City famously stayed up in the championship by scoring a goal in injury time a couple of seasons ago. You know, you've got to play these things to the wire. And, and that's where debates should be debates. Nothing is definitive. As I say, I think Hearts would have won that, the league that year. People will have a counterpoint. We'll never, ever know.
1: Look at last season, Paul, after 29 games, St Mirren found themselves bottom. After 38 games, they found themselves 11 points clear of bottom, which it kind of it leads you to hope that something can happen. But how many false dawns? I mean, Neil Doncaster's got more faces than um, Big Ben. The way this is going on, he's pro this, he's anti that, I mean, which, whichever way the wind blows, it's the way that this has all been handled, and it's still, we still don't know, Monday at 10 now we'll find out, come on, how many times when he says, oh, well, it's not going to happen, there's not going to be reconstruction, oh, and then a benefactor comes along, and suddenly things have changed, and he's calling in clubs and writing to clubs, it's just, it, it's an utter mess. The way that, that this has all been handled. And I know I've kind of deviated from a mess in Athens to a mess <laughs> in Scotland. I'm just I'm looking at the team. And obviously Paul and I were there. Jamie Mole up front. Jankowskis on the bench. He came on. Pania on the bench. Elliot on the bench. Why on earth? To this day even Jamie Mole <laughs> would have thought before the team was named that he was at best third choice, maybe fourth choice. It was only his second ever appearance as well and it, it was an all right team apart from that Gordon and Fisas Presley Hartley Berra Brellier Chesnowskis and and McCann but but then Mole and it wasn't it wasn't a done deal that we were going out we'd only lost 2-1 and if we'd scored first but I think he had one chance if I remember Paul in that way like Jamie Mole and yeah I don't know if it was a horrible finish or, or whatever but it just it couldn't get away from it was just it was a horrible, horrible evening and and what when you consider what happened at Tynecastle that night when Hearts played Aberdeen when Paul Hartley scored the penalty and and it was a it was a Champions League qualification and then you think about Brieg, um, and the three went at home got the job done with a goalless draw there was that hope that you know what we, we dared to dream and even when we dropped down into the the, the UEFA Cup, and if you remember back then it was the first round of, of the UEFA Cup and it wasn't until the second kind of stage where you went into group stage but then to lose 2-0 at home against Sparta Prague ever since that, that kind of Athens game away, it was just it was horrible It, it, it was such a
3: strange night and, and we as the BBC, we, we had a lot of problems on that trip as well because they tried to put our commentary position on the because it was a it was a stadium that had a running track. They tried to put us at the hundred meters stadium. Yeah, yeah. They tried to put us at the, the hundred finish line, which was level with a penalty box. And I, you know, I kicked up stink saying, "No, no, there's commentary positions over there. We need to be over there." And uh, it it, co- it almost caused an international incident. Um, the you know A.K. Athens were arguing with the UEFA, UEFA were arguing with you know it, it, it was horrible. But you know, I I I just I felt for Jamie Moe because. He was being asked to do something he wasn't capable of. It's not like you know, he being scored 50. Yeah, well, I exactly. mean, <laughs> he hadn't scored forty goals in the, in in the reserve team of the under twenties team, you know, and and w- was a star waiting to be born. It was highly, highly unfair on him, and it was also unfair on the other guys. You know, you're thinking we've come here; they would have come there thinking they had a chance. And and I say no disrespect to Jamie Moe. You know, Jankowski's on the bench. You're kidding me. You know, Hearts Hart, hadn't been outplayed. And Murray Field against AEK. were a decent side, but they weren't a brilliant side.
1: I wonder and, who picked yeah. that team, Paul. I wonder <laughs> well, not, if, it, if it's Ivan he ain't starting Jamie Mole. Exactly. That, that's come from those weirdos with the pyjamas and the, the sticks that used to basically tell Vlad who's in a good mind or, or whatever. Um, I'm sorry, that's not a Valda. Valdas Ivan wasn't a bad coach. Right? He just won the Cup of Hearts. He ain't starting Jamie Moe. And Jamie Moe wouldn't even have got a, a virtual game when you were doing the voiceover in Spain. I mean, <laughs> it's, it, it just ain't happening. Not that, not that we've kind of let it go or anything 14 years later and totally forgotten about it. I mean, sheesh.
3: But it, but it is it's one of those sort of iconic things that you don't forget because it was utterly so bizarre, yeah. and it was just so hearts at that time. And I mean, you, you were there, and Laurie, you, you were around, to experience it. If if people didn't actually experience what it was like being in the press room at Hearts at that time, I mean, it's just silly things like you know withdrawing all tea and coffee. And people say to me, well, you don't go there to eat and drink and think. Well, I'm there to work. I can't nip away at half time and stand in a queue. Um, you know, to get a pie or a coffee or something like that. You know, if I've been there since half 12, you know, and I'm working there till six o'clock, chances are I wouldn't mind a little bite to eat somewhere along the line. You know, they made the toilet facilities difficult to get to and and all that sort of thing. It was just the sheer pettiness of it all. And there was so many good people at that club. And just to watch the way it was handled, you despaired for them.
1: By the way, I forgot that New McCann got sent off and yeah. 0-0 in that game. And, and yeah. we, we all talk about Jamie Moll. That was the headline from it. We, And then the Julien Brelia, two yellows in, in five minutes. It's, it's certain things. Your mind sometimes plays tricks on you. And the only can being sent off just after the hour mark. Then with nine men, we conceded like kind of three goals late on. Um, and we needed two because we had conceded two away goals and a 2-1 home, home defeat. But isn't it weird how certain things that are remembered for... Whether it's Jamie Mole or Julian Brelli and other things that were prominent in the game, your mind just kind of forgets about them.
3: I don't have a particularly great memory for games, and I think when you see the volume of football that, you know, you, you watch in a season, you, and you're not watching the same team all the time, you know, it's That's you the know, key, yeah. You know, when you know when I was sort of the, the main guy for the BBC, you know, it would be Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Hibs, Aberdeen, you'd float around. So you're not seeing every game. You're keeping up to date. One of the good ways of doing everything with my stats is I review literally every Scottish Premiership game. So you you keep, you know, a really good awareness, but you're not seeing that sort of day-to-day nitty-gritty. But, but Hearts at that time, I have not been around another club that's gone through such a bizarre period and as I say sometimes you forget and it's nice to pick up a book or you know I've got all my old team sheets and things like that and you know you pick something up or you see an article somebody's looking back at a game you go geez I forgot all about that but when I when I go to do a game that's why I research it and I use all my material and notes so I've got everything there because you know I you can pull certain things out of your mind, but you can't You can't remember. And, and your point about A.K. Athens and Neil McCann getting getting sent off, you know, yeah, that, that slipped my mind. So when you next do European stuff, you look back, and that's where you pull all your material together. And, and that's the way I work. So, you know, other commentators, some people have got that sort of photographic memory. They can pull things back. That, that's just not the way I'm built. So you
0: mentioned, um, or we somehow got on to Neil Doncaster and the current situation. I thought it would be worthwhile visiting that again because, um, again, it is raging on, as as Mark um, mentioned. So now the SBFL are looking to push a 14-10-10-10 setup with a pre-vote vote, which isn't actually a vote, but it's just a voting how you would vote, but we're not going to make this um, gospel. So... I guess the interesting thing, the main thing with this is what they're proposing keeps Hearts part extraordinaire away from relegation being punished during these unprecedented times. And Kelly Hearts and Brora are given the chance to be promoted so you're not, I guess, affecting the pyramid. Um, The only thing you might say with it is beyond the change of distribution of monies, clubs that were maybe third and fourth in the lower leagues won't get the chance to go up despite being in playoff positions, but surely that's a lesser evil. Um, are you cynical about how this is suddenly um, being on the forefront of Mr Doncaster's mind, Paul?
3: <laughs> What's disappointed me about the way that the SPFL have handled this, Laurie, is that they have been looking to be legally correct and follow all their, their legal rules and laws and, you know, usually comes out in the statement, you know, our legal people tell us this. And I don't think I would have started from a position, what what is morally right to do? Mm-hmm. Then you figure out what's morally right to do. You then say, what are the legal problems that we might encounter in this People say you can't do this, you can't do that. You can do anything because we're living in a time that we've never lived in before, a global pandemic, and all the rules have changed. So therefore, if you want to do something and achieve something as a professional sporting body, get everybody, I would say, in the room, but even virtually in the room, and explain, say, actually, what we'd like to do is for nobody to suffer, but these rules and regulations don't allow us to do that. Let's explore how we change that by a special meeting, uh, you know, agreement, whatever, and let's go that way. Now, if the SPFL had adopted that stance and they'd gone through all of this and they'd not been able to get something through, I think people would go, "You know what? We live in strange times." But they tried. To me, they did it the wrong way round, and therefore, you do have teams saying, "Well, actually, this isn't fair." I think if Hart, and Hearts haven't been relegated, Partick Thistle haven't been relegated; they've been demoted. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And I just think we we They came at it from the wrong angle. It's a horribly difficult job that Neil Doncaster's got. Don't get me wrong, because it's not like you can say this is what's happening. You need all the votes, you need all the support and all the politics, and we know what goes on. So I'm not trying to say he's got an easy job. I just think he went
1: about it the wrong way. This has been done. um, And the biggest issue that we seem to have had, this has been done the way it's been done, quite simply because we have a new broadcast deal in place um, supposedly from the 1st of august with sky it's uh, exclusivity Um, they have paid what they have paid um, so that bt sport are no longer going to be involved in in domestic football um, north of the border and there there was just a a panic that they could not um, get all the money if it didn't go ahead as planned i mean are are you trying to tell me and I know the, this is June the 11th, the Thursday that, w- that we're talking, the three of us, and the players from the Scottish Premiership clubs uh, are allowed back to to play. Are you trying to be that you couldn't start again, say for example on the the first of July, um, and finish the season and have it done by by mid-August? Of, of course. So the issue is with the the TV money, and even now. Um, They've bent over backwards to ensure, I mean, uh, apart from giving Sky the title sponsor of the actual league itself, um, Neil Doncaster's not come out of this at all. But as I've said before, if you want one person who you're going to interview or you want to put somebody forward if you're a part of the company and you know he can handle every single interview, um, it's Neil Doncaster. He is outstanding at at playing politics. And answering questions. And I find, I mean, maybe you can give us more info here, Paul. I found it interesting when he has appeared on Sports Sound on the BBC, has it been a prior agreement an arrangement that it's only Richard that's able to ask questions to him? Because I know that Michael and Tom and various others would have loved to have got their teeth into him. Is it a case of I'm only coming on the show if it's only Richard asking the questions?
3: I think we live in changed days. I don't think we would have seen this before. But in terms of media access, if you're sports sound and you request the interview with Neil Doncaster, Neil Doncaster comes back to you and says, well, yes, I'll do it, but I'm not going into the zoo format. I'll do a one on one. What do you do as a radio producer? Do you accept that and you get them on and you get in in somebody like Richard Gordon, a really experienced, good broadcaster to grill him? Or do you say no? And I'll tell you what happens is you can't win either way because some fans will say, well, you're letting him dictate terms. And other fans will say, well, you shouldn't have him on at all, whereas you want to hear from him. So I think you're you're trapped if you're the BBC. Now, somebody like Richard Gordon, interviewers in this country don't actually get much better than Richard. The problem you have then, Mark, and, and, I, and I saw this unfold on social media, you know you then had two strains, and we see this right across the world, and across almost everything you had the strain of people saying, tell you what, Richard gave him a really hard time and went for it, well done and the other half were saying, well that was powder puff, what, you know, what, what was Richard Gordon doing? He simply let Neil Doncaster walk all over him, and the problem because of that is people go in with their mind made up of how the interview is going to go mm-hmm. And and that yeah. to me is we, we we and and this is across football, it's across politics, it's across everything. If you approach it from one side and one side only, you're only only going to get the result that you see. And I'll get, I'll give you an example. Hearts when they were in the championship a few years ago played Falkirk. I think it was the first time they lost at home that season. They lost three mm-hmm. two. Now my my eldest son Adam was at the game. Um, In the stands and we met afterwards and we walked back round to Murrayfield where I parked the car. We were at two different games because he'd watched it purely from a hearts point of view, whereas I'd watched the game from both teams point of view. And I thought Falker had done some incredibly good things and that hearts had done some positive things. But, you know, it was the fault of the referee. It was the fault of the hearts players. If you're watching from one perspective, you're not seeing the full picture. Now, I'm not trying to take a moral high ground and say I'm right. I know what it's like to watch games irrationally as a fan. I'm a fan of the New Orleans Saints who've been screwed the last two years in American football, and nobody's angrier than me about it. So I get it. But, you know, when you're dealing with someone like Neil Doncaster, he knows he's a professional, he knows how to handle questions, and he knows you've got a time limit. And you can talk that time limit out. We see it with politicians all over. And somebody said, "Well, why didn't you ask him that? Why didn't you ask him that? Why?" Sometimes it's not that easy because, and and you'll both seen this in work. You can go in and ask somebody the hardest question, and they'll they'll answer it or not, but they'll come up to you in the end and basically, and excuse the language, you ever ask me again, I'm never speaking to you again. So what do you do? You, you don't go soft on people, but you be professional because you won't talk to people again; they'll just blank you. It's really hard. We don't have all the we don't have all the the upper hands, if you like.
0: What do you, What do you think then, Paul, in terms of what's going to happen? Because obviously Neil Doncaster suggested there's um, a, a possibility that this permanent change could happen, but you still need 11 of 12 Premiership clubs to vote it through, and you need 32 of 42 overall in the SPFL. It just Does it not seem highly unlikely still that that level of
3: support is realistic? Follow the money. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Follow the money. If Rangers and Celtic want this to happen, it will happen. If one of them don't want it to happen, it won't happen because they've got the influence right throughout the game to make things happen. If they agree, I think it will go through. If they don't, it won't. In terms of, you know, should we have gone 14-14-14, 14-14-18... The wrong time the wrong time to think about fire insurance for example is when your house is on fire it's not really the time to be doing that what you want to do is when you move into your house you think how do I make sure everything's safe how do I go about doing that So the time to reorganize Scottish football is not really for me in a time of panic and I think that's what we've hit rather than going back and saying look we, you know we've had to end the season etc cetera, etc cetera, how can we work out that nobody's disadvantaged mm-hmm. and to me they didn't start at that point and if they've picked the wrong starting point and now we've jumped to this end point where if this does go through people are going to say well that's simply because of the money that was given by James Anderson um, I mean the media haven't got the story out that I'm actually James Anderson's uh, silent partner I'm not prepared <laughs> to say how much money I've put into it um, <laughs> but you know people are going to link it and I say I just think we went about it the wrong way um and and we are where we are if you were to say you know which way would i place a pound on change or stay in the same i think the 14 10 10's got legs i can see it coming in because of what's happening people say well you can't do this can't your scots law is different to french law and blah 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 france have changed their mind belgium have you know changed their mind hearts have got a fairly solid case and if Hearts threaten to derail the TV deal, which is the wrong way of going about it, but it would be the right to do so if they wanted, I personally wouldn't. I'd just take the demotion and go. Um, then they've got the right to do that, and that might force these clubs. But it's all about the money, it's always about the money. And if Rangers and Celtic want it, I reckon it would happen.
1: Neil Doncaster has been able to control the narrative so far, totally, with the SBFL. And rightly so. As you said earlier, it's about laws and rules and regulations. And as far as they're concerned, they've they've stuck by everything from from a legal perspective. But things change now when he's not in control of the narrative if legal action is taken. Why do you think he's writing to clubs? He's phoning. He's championing um, various things now. Why do you think he's trying to gauge whether or not there is a an interest when already after the first time when Anne Budge and the 436 members of that subcommittee um, for reconstruction, and that's how it appeared, got together. Um, why do you think he is now going round everyone and saying, mm, "What do you think about this?" Or when he wasn't doing that, first of all, he's left it to Anne Budge because he knew what would happen. The goalposts have moved slightly. And hearts, I think, are well within their right. There's a suggestion that Anne Butch has already met senior legal representatives as far as if this thing doesn't happen on Monday, where to go next. I fully back them here, and that's why Neil Doncaster is trying his hardest to try and get a resolution that will satisfy the majority. You're never going to satisfy all. The problem that we have, Paul and Laurie, is the majority and the way that the voting structure is set up in Scottish football right now is too much of a majority is required. So I don't think it will happen. I would fully be behind hearts taking legal action. Now, if you're going to get a crowd fund or whatever it is um, to, to put the money forward, they have to do something. Because if France and Belgium, and I know it's slightly different, if it's already happened there that there's been no relegation, demotion, ejection, then there's got to be a case in Scotland where they've come so far now. There's no point in just backing down. Um, It depends how long it's going to take. And if Neil Doncaster's concerned about that because he doesn't control the narrative, over to you, pal. Come up with something that everyone can agree on, not the other clubs doing your business for you.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I can get the frustration that Hearts fans have had. And... (laughs) You know, I don't think Anne Budge necessarily wanted to to lead, you know, a group that was looking at alternatives because that, you know, she was put in a bad position. I don't think she should have accepted that because then it all looks like hearts are trying to do it for hearts. And, and this is where it comes down to the sort of the, the pettiness of Scottish football. I would have just, as I say, it's a hard job Neil Doncaster has, but I would like to see them start from a different a different point and see how we could have taken it forward to disadvantage no one that should have been the opening now if we'd gone through that process and you know teams had to be in a league they didn't want to be you know that's life we're all in a position you know, that we don't want to find ourselves in at the moment. You know, actors aren't able to act. You know, you know people aren't able to do so much. You know, there, there's very little broadcasting work around. You know, life is difficult. Difficult decisions are being made. But everybody's trying to start from the point of view is how do we disadvantage people the least? And And if you don't start from that point, you're never going to get where you need to go.
0: I think we've... Possibly filled about as much time as we can, from glamorous TV ads to uh, the Neil Doncaster filibuster. I think is where we were going with that. Um, it's been a pleasure to have you on, Paul. Uh, what's 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 coming up next for you then? Do you do you think there's going to be some work on the horizon coming in in July, August? Then you looking forward to I guess getting back on the the mic in a professional sense.
3: I mean, I can't wait for the season to start, uh, you know, be it the football season, the rugby season. Um, you know, I'd like to be, you know, continuing what I was doing, being part of sports scene you know, and sports, sound, which which I just enjoy so much. I enjoy being part of the fabric of Scottish football. There's so many good people in and around and sometimes that gets a little bit lost. I've, I've missed the the. The relationships and connecting with people and I, and I miss doing the games, you know I mean if, if you're a commentator, you know what you enjoy, you know the pleasure you get from doing it and and I genuinely have missed it and I, I can't wait for it to restart and get back out there
0: and I think Mark, did you probably pinpoint what song we're going to go out and if you remember back a little bit earlier?
1: Mm, no, I don't remember what my last answer was because I'm <laughs> getting old what was what did I suggest?
0: I think it was we probably come from a point when Paul was talking about being surrounded by Hibs fans to the left and to the right.
1: Uh, <laughs> very good. Uh, stuck in like, the middle with you. I like good. that. <laughs>
0: well, thank you for coming on Paul. Um thank you for joining again Mark and we will be back next time with more tangents and more talk on Scottish football. What?